0: Welcome to Crit Like a Girl, where it's sugar, spice, and everything dice. Hello, this is Alana. I play Zuri, our half elf, half human bard. As Zuri is five foot eight, she has the build of a runner. She has very tan skin that's freckled all over her face. She has almond-shaped gray eyes, pointy ear- pointy elf ears. The left ear is pierced twice. The third is pierced three times. She has a scar on her upper left cheekbone from a bar fight. She wears spiked leather armor. Being a bard, she plays a different instrument. She plays a magical flute, a fiddle, a lute, and a drum, and she almost always carries these with her everywhere she goes. Zuri is from a port town called Sigurlok. Her dad was a human. Her mom's the elf. Her dad is a tradesman. He was in and out of her life, so she's very pretty just like, meh, about guys. She learned some healing from her mom as her mom was Sigurlok's main healer so she knows a little bit just from being around her. Zuri has a past love and he was a, a sea merchant but he has gone AWOL and no one has heard from him or his crew in months Usually, he's only gone for a month at a time, and so she carries his last letter with everywhere she goes, hoping to maybe find him one day. Uh, Zuri likes to play at a lot of taverns, like low key, bar fight like skeevy taverns. She knows a lot of big hero stories, but she also likes to sing sea shanties that her boyfriend taught her, and she kind of mixes it in into like lullabies and things like that. Yeah. And that's Zuri.
1: You are home in Ciggerlock. It's the night before you've decided to leave and travel on your adventure. And you are sitting in the Crossed Hammers. You're very familiar with this tavern. You've been here hundreds of times, most likely. It's it's familiar. Tonight, it's not terribly busy. There's no one in the fighting ring. There's no one playing yet. There's um uh, some murmur of conversation from different patrons who are the usuals. And you are sitting at a table. Warwick approaches you from the bar and slides the dwarven ale onto the table in front of you and takes the seat across from you. Kind of smiles at you, just a little bit sadly, and is like, you know we're going to miss you around here, correct? Oh, I know, Warwick, I'll miss you too. And the ale. Of course, the ale. You're not going to find anything this quality out there.
0: No, you have a... Especially, you all have a special talent.
1: Well, we're not the only ones with special talents and you know, we're going to worry about you out on the road by yourself. I know you're you're not ours, but you know, we've we've known you for a long time and it's a shame. It's a shame to see to see you go, knowing we'll worry about you and you know. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. All right, all right. We're not we're not pulling that. You know, you just want to uh <laughs> To make sure you're strong enough to take care of yourself on the road you know i should make you prove it and he puts his arm down in front of you like miming for an arm wrestle and and just he's clearly joking but the offer is serious if you want to take it
0: you really want to arm wrestle me how many times have we done this warwick
1: nearly a dozen at least that you've won probably a hundred that i have uh
0: are you sure about those odds
1: mm, fairly sure Tell you Mm. what. Beat me and your drinks are on the house for the rest of the night. How's that? You're on. So he he clasps your hand in his and he's he's grinning. Go ahead and roll me strength. He pushes your hand slowly towards the table. Just kind of just kind of toying with you. All right. Make another strength roll. He's, He's laughing. He takes his hand and he, he, uh, reaches out and kind of like ruffles your hair. Very, very like playfully mocking and goes, maybe you should stick to singing tales of heroes. (laughs) Well, if you are going to tell those tales, I have a gift for you before you leave. Oh, and he, he motions back. Uh, to his wife who is behind the bar and she, she looks up and, and she grins seeing, you know, his face. Obviously he's, he's recently won this, this bout and she comes out from behind the counter and she has uh, a small package in her hand, maybe mm, a foot long, but only, only a couple inches wide. Um, and she comes over and she's smiling at you. Kessa lays the package down on the table in front of you and smiles and goes, just a little something to remember us by, you know? Do I need to be worried about this package? (laughs) I don't believe so. Go ahead, open it.
0: Okay, so I open the package.
1: Um, Inside there is a slightly tarnished, it's not in the best condition, but it is a silver flute. Kessa smiles at you and goes, go on, play us one last song before you leave.
0: Are you sure you don't have to do this, Kessa?
1: We we want to. We want to do something. It's, it's going to be a while before we see you next, and you know exactly how talented we are with music, which is <laughs> not quite at all. <laughs> That's fair, I suppose. You get up, and you walk onto the empty stage, and you begin to play a song for Warwick and Kessa on your new flute. As you're playing this song it takes a few moments but then this faint bit of magic begins to come off of the flute and swirl around you and Warwick and Kessa gasp for a moment and then smile as this magic spreads out five and then ten and then 15 feet around you just these swirling colors and lights for a moment And then they begin to change into images of rolling fields and faraway mountains of these mythical stories that you've heard and that you want so badly to tell. And you begin to produce these illusions with your flute as you play. You finish your song and the illusions fade around you and you hop off the stage and you go back to your table and Warwick and Kessa smile at you and Warwick claps you on the shoulder and Kessa gives you a hug. You are given drinks for the rest of the night for free even though you did not win. As it gets late and knowing that you are leaving tomorrow, what do you do? before the end of the night. Are you going home? Are you staying at the tavern?
0: Probably go back home to have one final night with Mom.
1: So you you leave the tavern. It's it's a little bit late, but you walk home through the streets that you've known your entire life, past familiar shops and past the cracked chalice where you uh, have seen Malark play, you know, several times. Um... You walk out to the edge of town where you live with your mother. And as you walk inside your house, your your mother gives you a smile. She's clearly sad. She's going to miss you, but she's proud as well. It's a very bittersweet smile. Her child is leaving home. A moment that she's known is going to come, but she is sad to see it nonetheless. And she smiles at you and asks, would you like a cup of tea before bed? Sure. Just looking down at the tea, and looks back up at you and and says, "So, have you decided where you're going yet?" South. South. Well, it's it's a good direction. It's better than north from here.
0: Of course.
1: And you'll be safe. You you won't you won't get yourself into too much trouble. Uh, define too much. <laughs> I suppose I can't, knowing how you've been growing up. Just don't do anything that would give your poor old mother a heart attack, will you? I will try. I give no guarantees. <laughs> At least don't tell me about it if you do. How's that? that I cool? can. I can do that. And she reaches out and she takes your hand and she. Squeezes it in hers, and you sit together for a while. Um, there's a crackling fire in the background that she has going, and it, it's it's dark outside, but the night is is clear, and there's not much wind, and so it's just you and her and the fire. And she smiles at you, and nods, and says, "I love you." I. I'm so proud of you. And I know you're going to grow up to be a phenomenal woman. I love you too, mom. And she, good night. And I'll, I'll see you one last time in the morning then. <laughs> she heads to bed. Do you stay up or do you go to bed?
0: I stay up for a little bit, just watching the fire die down and then go to bed.
1: The fire dies down slowly and it's, it's getting towards midnight by the time you finally crawl into bed. You're excited for tomorrow, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's ready, and, and it's that feeling where it's hard to sleep because you know something is coming, but eventually you do drift off. After you drift off for a little bit, um, you have a dream. You open your eyes and you are sitting in one of the chairs in the cracked chalice, and up on stage, Malak Bold is there, and he's picking strings on a lute, and he's he seems to be warming up he's not playing anything yet but he's he's getting his lute ready to play a performance and um there's no one else in here which is strange there's usually at least a few people in here even if there's not many patrons usually um you would see avion kaffa the owner of the tavern, you see her back behind the bar, but she's not in here right now. It's it's just you and Malark sitting on the stage. He looks up at you and he smiles at you. And then he looks back down at his lute and he starts. It's a slower melody, a little sad, a little morose. So you're you're very used to him playing these more, you know, upbeat songs about grand heroes and and you know amazing tales and and knights who have fought dragons and and all these things so this strikes you a little odd even before you hear the tone in the background of his voice and it's strange because it is his voice but at the same time it's like there's there's something else singing in the background of his notes that you can't quite hear correctly.
2: Its own, and mankind beget yet more life for centuries untold, years of time untold. Birds may sing the stories of him and deeds but he
1: He finishes his song and he smiles at you and he stands up and walks to the door of the tavern and he pauses in the doorway and beckons you to follow him and walks through the door. What do you do? I follow him. So you you stand up from your chair and you, you follow him to the doorway and you step outside and the cracked chalice is on the corner of two streets so normally you would walk out and you would be in this intersection between two streets which is familiar to you You've, you've passed it you know almost every day depending on where you're going but that's not what you emerge onto what you emerge onto is a straight open road out in front of you that leads as far as you can see the sun is in the sky um, off slightly to the east of being straight above you and when you look around there is nothing there are what used to be trees on this road but they are Blackened and wilted, there is no grass on the ground. There is just flat, dry earth where the road leads to a crossroads, and there are three silhouettes of people so um as you stand there for a minute, trying to you know look around and and figure out what's going on and you know where this is that you're you're at and what you're hearing, you you realize slowly that you don't actually hear much of anything. There are no insects buzzing, there are no animal sounds, there's no birds. Um, You can hear the wind um, in that way where not even a very fast wind travels over complete open expanses. So it's like everything's
0: desolate and dead.
1: except you do hear a single fluttering of wings and as you look up there is a very tiny owl perched on uh, one of the desiccated tree branches nearby you and it hoots at you and cocks its head and flutters to the next branch and then pauses and looks at you again, like it's waiting.
0: Can I can I approach the
1: owl? Okay. As you try to approach the owl, it it hoots again and it it um it circles you and then it flies on to the next branch. And it pauses and it waits for you to approach. Flutters to the next branch and the next, and it it leads you slowly down this road. You're walking for it doesn't feel like a long time but when you look up the sun is very definitely to the west like you've been walking for hours even though it feels like it's only been maybe two or three minutes at, at most and as you as you walk down this road trying to approach this owl and following it you see and the owl hoots at you and and lands on your shoulder for a minute and kind of just, like, nibbles at the top of your ear, like, almost affectionately, and then flies away to one of the silhouettes that you see in the distance, and circles them and lands on their shoulder. Do you approach them? I approach them. So as you uh, approach these figures, you're still only seeing their their silhouettes, and and you, you start to make out a little bit of them. It's clearly three female figures, but you, you really can't make out much more of them before something happens and the world kind of twists. The world's not moving. Nothing is different, but you are suddenly very dizzy for just a moment. And then as you look forward, the sun, which obviously has been moving, from east to west as it would normally in the sky begins going from west to east very rapidly as time begins to spin backwards around you you still see everything is is desolate except you see a light at the very very outer reaches of the horizon where you can just barely see it and the light begins to travel closer and closer and closer. And as you look around, it's happening on all sides. And as the light comes towards you, it leaves behind the world as, as you know it. There are, there are trees, there are forests. You can very distantly now hear bird song. You can, these three figures are still. Standing near one um, at each of the other three points of the crossroad, see, you know, a, a clear blue sky. Every Everything is familiar, beautiful, verdant, alive. And as this light comes closer to you, at the very edges of it, it f- starts to form a city. It starts to form buildings um, as if they were resurrecting themselves from... Burnt ashes that you didn't even know were there. These have been, they had been destroyed so thoroughly. And it comes closer and closer and it passes over you and nothing happens to you, but you are now standing in the center of a town near the center of this crossroad. The light gets closer and closer and smaller until everything around you is. Normal as you would assume, except for a ball of light about five feet in diameter at the very center of the crossroads, and then everything freezes. Is the ball of light in
0: front of me or in front of the silhouettes? Like, am I sta- where am I standing in proximity to this ball of light?
1: So, imagine you were walking up a road to towards a crossroad. The Uh ball is at the very center of that crossroad and each of the silhouettes looks like they've come down a road from a different direction. One from the north, one from the south, one from the east, and one from the west and you are one of those. Okay.
0: I hold my hand out towards the ball of light as if to touch it.
2: You step
1: forward and you hold your hand out towards the ball of light And your fingers start to make contact and you can feel a tingling in the tip of your fingers. Not painful, not anything, but like like you were reaching towards something hot and you've gotten just to that edge where you can feel the warmth and you hear Malark's voice again. Not outwardly, but almost in your mind, almost telepathically. And it's that same strange, like there's something else speaking under his usual voice. And you hear, not every bod tells only the tales of others. Some have a grand story of their own to tell. And then you wake up and it's morning. Do you do anything before you leave town?
0: I make sure I packed everything, probably grab a few extra herbs from the garden, I just go on my way. It's already said my goodbyes.
1: You head out of town, going south along the main road that leads out of Sigurlock, down and curves around the Silverwood, and you begin to travel towards the nearest city along that road, which is the crossroads city of Rosesti.